Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. Today's host is someone I go way back with. His name is Sean Cardinale. Sounds like a baseball player. He's a coach, writer, and activist who returned to coaching on sex and love addiction at the outset of the pandemic after a four-year hiatus. He speaks the language, and his coaching style tends to lean toward 12-step recovery, which saved his own life and livelihood 14 years ago. He's also very transparent. Sean earned his local certification through Linda Bark's holistic coaching methodology and is pursuing his ICF certification and a degree in social work. So beyond sex and love addiction, Sean's practice focuses on intimacy, relationships, divorce, dating, and the creative process. Enjoy Sean Cardinale. All right. Hey, everybody. It's Sean Cardinale, sex and love addiction coach. And uh, on this podcast, I have a very good friend of mine, Seth Rogers. Welcome, Seth. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, Happy to be here. It's I'm so glad to have you on. Seth and I go back. You know what, dude? I was thinking. I don't. I don't even know. Is it more than five years now? No, it's five. actually three and a half. Three and a yep. half. Three and a half years. Uh, Seth and I find that we um, can sit and talk and solve the world's problems. Uh, all good, just the two of us, and yet um, keep the information uh, to ourselves. We're jealous with the information. Mm -hmm. Y'all have to pay instead. But no, I love Seth Rogers. Um, he's actually a recovery brother of mine. He's a high school uh, uh, teacher. What's your favorite shit to teach, man? You know, I'm a math teacher. Not because not because I'm one of those people that's passionate about math and just thinks in numbers all the time. Um, but just because I think it's kind of a fun subject to teach. It's like a puzzle, you know, and it's very concrete. So, you know, when students get it, you know, and they don't. So you have a lot of those aha moments. Plus, I just don't know enough about, you know, grammar or social sciences to to pull off history or English. But, um, yeah, teaching math. And then also, you know, decided to try out physics for a year. And that's been a blast. What was that? What was that last part? I think I think I lost you for a second. You tried to what? No, oh, trying out physics as well. So I'm teaching a physics class in oh addition to math, God. and that's just been kind of um, trial and error. But I mean, that's that's teaching for you. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to me that you say that. Um, well, one, I totally appreciate how you like math. Is either like you you got it, you did the equation correctly, or you didn't. That's very for a brain like mine. That's very good. Of course, I'm like completely uh, 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 right-brained. And so the history and the writing, the humanity stuff was all my jam. But it's also interesting that you say you couldn't carry the the social studies or history or, or literature or the grammar. That's total bullshit. My man Seth is being super modest. Uh, that is actually most of the shit that we talk about, Society, society's ills and society's gains, right? Um, do a little, uh, how can I characterize it? You know, we do a little uh, transcendentalism. Will we be <laughs> redeemed? Can, can we save ourselves? Or are we anti-transcendentalist? No, we're just fucked. And we're just trying to do our best. Well, we're trying to do our best while we're here either way. But um, I just have had, I've found over the last three and a half years that I've had some really good conversations with Seth. So wanted to bring him on for the Single On Purpose podcast and have another one of these conversations. Also, because his personal history and background is really, I think, interesting not the norm um, 
uh, for someone. You're what? Are you are you like early thirties? I can't remember. Like I'm, I yeah. feel like I'm way older, and yet you're wise as fuck. So <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'm thirty one. <laughs> oh I would be fifty this year. Yeah. See, so dude, I swear to God, I would have like. Uh, now that you're not youthful uh, and don't look young, but I swear to God, I'd be talking like a, like a fucking forty year old or something. And now I'm gonna be accused of being ageist. But whatever. Anyway, Seth is a great guy. He's got a great personality. He's got a great head on his shoulders. And and despite you know the 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 humbleness about uh, uh, social uh, studies or English or lit, you know, again, very smart dude and loquacious. And I appreciate you being here. Um, so the part about your story that's really interesting, what we're going to talk about today is um, uh, uh, sort of dating and religious convictions. And this was a great topic that Seth chose because there's a lot that he can share on that. And before we get closer to the kernel of that, um, why don't you explain, tell me how, tell everybody how Brazil is a big part of your upbringing. Yeah, so... I was born in Michigan, but then when I was eight, uh, my parents, who were missionaries at a time working for a nonprofit Christian organization, um, decided they wanted to scratch this itch to live overseas. And so we originally, our plan was to go to Caracas, Venezuela, and we visited uh, Caracas when I was seven. There was a family, uh, another American family that we we're going to partner with there. But, you know, shit started to hit the fan. And as we all know, it's only gone downhill, unfortunately for the people of Caracas and Venezuela in general. But um, right. so that family decided to uh, jump ship, if you will, after spending, I think, you know, 16 years there. But um, and the organization said, hey, how about you go to Brazil? And my parents, and this was, mind you, two months before we were supposed to go to Venezuela. Uh, and my parents were like, hey, why not? Let's do it. So uh, we stopped learning Spanish, started learning Portuguese, and um, they're related. It's all good. It, they just, it overlaps. You gotta, the, you gotta make that sound exactly instead of uh, instead of the. <laughs> yeah, as one of my Colombian friends says, he says, "Yeah, Portuguese is just you know what you how how you speak Spanish when you're still learning Spanish." So um, <laughs> I disagree, though. I, I I think it's very it's a more sensual. And anyways, we can get into that another time. But um, yeah, right. so m moved to Brazil and spent. Uh, total of, of eight years there. Um, thankfully, my parents had the the um, the wisdom to put me in a Brazilian school. And so I was, you know, completely socialized into Brazilian culture. And it just became not even a part of my identity because it wasn't conscious so much as um, really a, a part of my, my fabric. It, I, I didn't identify as Brazilian, but I became Brazilian and, and that became very apparent when I came back to the States uh, as a 16 year old. And then, you know, um, of all places, we moved to Texas and yada, yada. But uh, yeah, so Brazil is is in my DNA. I love that country and I'm trying to make my way back. What are oh, you eventually want to want to get back? You want to be uh, have a little more of your adult life out there, like permanently, you think? Oh, or yeah. You think you'll go and then come back again? No, I that is where. That is where my heart is. And uh, my plan was actually to be there already. <laughs> but I met my girlfriend, which um, is an excellent reason to deviate from my plan. And, um, you know, no, she'll be she'll be glad to hear that. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm here and I'm happy to be in New Mexico. I do, you know, of all places in the U.S., uh, New Mexico is one that I I feel good about being in. It's not um, I, I get tired of the kind of artificial, commercial, materialistic vibe that you can get from the States. Uh, but, you know, there's something a little more spiritual and, you know, dare I say, enchanting, despite the slogan, you know, I know it's corny, but it is kind of an enchanting and strange state. It's It, it really deviates from the norm of a lot of the, you know, greater U.S. So I'm, I'm cool being here for the time being. Yeah, it's um, you know, it, it's not corny the enchantment thing. I mean, it's it's funny. I'm looking at my windows. We're recording. It's fucking snowing yeah. right now. Just F FYI, I don't know if, if if you can see out, but um, yeah. So in the last forty eight hours, seventy two hours, everybody, it it rained, it snowed, it hailed. There might have been frogs. I was waiting for like just let's just go full <laughs> Armageddon, like you know, and 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 locusts. But um, no, it is beautiful out here. The land is beautiful. And what I noticed when we came out here 16, 17 years ago was I had never been in, in a city. And, you know, 
when when we say city, you know, it's a big town. Mm-hmm. Albuquerque is not like cosmopolitan. It's not like when you go to Chicago or New York or even San Francisco. But um, in the metro area, there's still a million people, so it's not like tiny. And but I'd never been in a city where you could stand in a spot and and you have a 360 degree vista. And and just like you have a good accent with your Venezuela and your Caracas and all that. I mean, my my kids are bilingual in Spanish, not Portuguese. Their mother is New Mexican. Like goes back hundreds of years here and so you know they're yeah they're fluent um i say the words uh with the correct accent and i notice that you do too when you when you talk about where you've been and where you're from where you were raised rather and um yeah to see that that vista and and just go out into the desert and find yourself or lose yourself either way and then go back up to the mountains i mean the mountains are covered with snow right now the sandias it's beautiful it's beautiful here so i think i'm glad that you found a place that resonates with you that way i know you're very very spiritual minded we'll probably be talking about the difference the distinction between spiritual and religious Mm -hmm. i'm sure in this conversation and um we can get right to it though but no you're totally right about the the enchanted there's a lot of spirit here there's so much history and so then there's so much spirituality and religion. We know, you know, we know the tougher parts of that history, but um, there's definitely a place for you to come out, like I said, and find yourself or lose yourself. And, and it's peaceful. And the pace, when I first moved out here from L.A. to from L.A., um, I remember I had to like, like downshift my body and mind. Uh, the pace is completely different. It's its own thing. That's why the, mm. the joke, the corny joke is actually Landa Banana. And and I think locals don't really dig on that, but some of them also say it. So I don't know. It's like a mixed bag. But it really is like, hey, just, you know, your pace, you know, your 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 space, your pace, your time. Do do what you like. Uh, we're, you know, we, we don't really enforce uh, stop signs, red lights, or like imposing ourselves on, uh, you know, on on others. But um, but it's very rich with all the culture here. Anyway, it very much looks like right the Pueblo style everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not. I go back to California. I'm like, oh look, there's an actual blue house or a green <laughs> house or something. Right. <laughs> Out here is a lot of tans and browns and and then blue and blue is that you know that kind the of turquoise the, the yeah. traditions. Yeah, turquoise. Right. 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 So as far as religion and spirituality, if we're talking about dating and religious convictions, why did you, why did you pick the topic? And then let's talk about your, your, your journey. Like, uh, uh, like you said, your parents are missionaries and I don't know if you can get specific or want to get specific about what thread or strand of even evangelism Mm -hmm. uh, they are. But anyway, Let's let's get into that. Let's get into the background, and then let's talk about how that affected your dating and how it affected you being single, which is like again this whole podcast. So, right. So, when we were in Michigan, we went to an evangelical free church. I think it is is what it was called. Basically, non denominational. I don't I don't know if there's you know some finer points to that distinction, but for all intents and purposes, yeah, just evangelical free, non-denominational. My parents, you know, to their credit, I think have always been very open-minded and have in many ways kind of helped move the needle forward in making the evangelical circles that they've been a part of um, slightly more progressive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, within a certain box, a certain Christian paradigm, but but nevertheless, they, they, they you know they never strayed away from speaking truth to power and raising the bullshit flag. Um, mm. They've never been much for politics, and so I never I never had this attachment to a church institution, to a religious institution. It was always more an allegiance to the ideas, which I think is very kind of Protestant at at its core. Um, so so maybe that's not so unorthodox for the Protestant side of Christianity, but, but regardless, um, they did encourage me to think for myself. And I think if, if it weren't for that, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, I wouldn't be recording this podcast because I would, I would just be thinking the same way I did when I was in Michigan, but mm. I, I was given the permission, um, not full permission, but I was still encouraged to think for myself and be critical about the, the very things that I was learning from, from my mm. parents and from, other adults in my life. It's interesting. Um, I pulled up uh, Howard Zinn, you know, monster progressive 
uh, activist and academic. And one of his books and one of his sayings was, you can't be neutral on a moving train. And that's wow. the line that popped up in my head when you said um, uh, that they didn't really dive into or didn't really, you know, <clears throat> affect or maybe maybe really encourage conversations on, on, on politics. And I won't say encourage. I don't want to mischaracterize. But but yeah, that's interesting because you have said clearly they encourage you to you know get progressive and, and think for yourself and, and push the needle a little bit um but but yeah even even being non-political or apolitical is a political choice right and and there's also some privilege that comes with the ability to be like well yeah i can just step back um and in, in fact it's part of it's kind of part of the conversation that i was telling you that i had on another podcast that'll be airing soon when we got into some politics i was like oh shit it went some different places that i thought but I appreciate that they, mm-hmm. um, yeah, encourage you to 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 stretch a bit, right, and and, and challenge a bit, and and seek out, um, yeah, knowledge, new means, whatever. How when you're 16 and you guys get, um, why did you leave? And then once you got back to the states, what happened as far as your beliefs? Now you're a young man in your teens. You're in high school in the states after being a huge chunk. I mean, you grew up in Brazil, like you said. Oh, in what city, by the way? Sao Paulo or where? Yeah, we're in the state of Sao Paulo in a city called Campinas, which is about an hour and a half outside of the city of Sao Paulo. And it's um, it's a medium, medium, large city, about 2 million. Um, but it doesn't necessarily give off the vibes of, you know, Sao Paulo's urban sprawl. So that's where we were. And then I in, in Rio, and um, that was in college. And that's the city, honestly, that I feel the most spiritual connection to. But it's not okay, where I grew up. Rio. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. It, which one of those cities has the, uh, the, uh, the huge, huge uh, statue? Well, that's of, you. Yeah. Of... Yeah, the Christ the Redeemer, Cristo Redentor. Yeah. Is in Rio. That's in Rio, yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got to get down there someday, especially if you go down there, then we're like, Oh good. Like I have a double reason to go visit my, visit my homie and, and see the amazing land and, and people and culture. No, absolutely. Uh, and so you get back, you're 16. Let's just to get to our topic here. I mean, you're 16. <laughs> I mean, at 16, we tend to be young, dumb and full of cum. So when mm. you get back, what are the sort of precepts or if any, and, 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 and disabuse me if these are the wrong words, like what sort of, I don't know, l- limitations or rules or what sort of doors opened for you through your parents and through coming back to, now you've got to like re-acculturate to the States when really, I mean, eight, you're pretty malleable. You grew up again in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So you come back and then how does that start to affect your acculturation and then your dating um, and again, how, you know, it's going to be a cultural difference and also a religious cultural difference. So how, how does that all start to form? Yeah, I, I love how you said that. I kind of grew up a second time in Brazil and that's completely spot on. I, I mean, in my years in Michigan, I was, my sister and I were just talking about this. We were not socialized, uh, very well. My parents, they, they homeschooled us. Uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. And that was great academically, but I really felt stunted socially. And that when became you very... This was down here. This was this was in Michigan. This was in Michigan before we went to Brazil. Before you left. Yeah, okay. yeah. So where I was born and then, you know, until I was eight, really, the only person I, I hung out with on a consistent basis was my sister, <laughs> you know, um, okay. and so, and she and I were a little bit feral. I, so, that, you know, <laughs> so we were, we were both, I think, above average academically because we got so much one-on-one attention from our parents who both have college degrees and are critically minded and are both teachers at some point, but we didn't know how to be just normal kids with other kids. Mm. And we were more comfortable with adults because that's most of the people that we spent time with. And so, um, so it was like growing up a second time when I went to Brazil and not only was I not being homeschooled, but I was thrust into 
a school in a language and a culture that I knew nothing about whatsoever. I, I, I knew one word when we moved to Brazil, one word in Portuguese. And then we had a, what was it? I don't even remember. I think it was, I think it was yes, sing, you know, like, <laughs> I think it's something, something like that, mm -hmm. but um, didn't get me very far. But within a few months, I was fluent in Portuguese. It just, and, you know, no thinking shit. back, I was talking to my best friend from Brazil and, you know, the first day of school, he was like, hey, come, you know, kind of like gesturing, like, come sit next to me. He didn't speak English. I didn't speak Portuguese, but that's how the friendship started. And I don't remember what it was like to not understand him. It just, it, you know, that was kind of seamless. But, and so even though I resisted, um, absorbing Brazilian culture because I was very patriotic and, you know, as in many Latin American countries, they, they're all too familiar with the dark side of the American government mm -hmm. and specifically the influence that the American government has had on, uh, their more authoritarian regimes, all the dictatorships that the CIA, you know, deliberately encouraged mm -hmm. to fight back communism and, you know, yeah, 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 you know, prevent the domino yeah. effect and uh, all that bullshit. And so, so they were very cynical about the U S government loved American pop culture, but not so much the political side of things. And so I, I, I pushed back and I was very patriotic and yet Brazilian culture was still inevitably baked into who I was. And so then coming back to the States when I was 16, I remember vividly we we're in the airport and a part of me was excited to go back to the States because that's where we would go for, you know, vacation, quote unquote, really, it was more fundraising trips for my parents because all of their income came from um, churches and people they knew that would uh, make contributions. And so it's just how their organization rolls. Um, but to me, it, it was where we would go on summers and it was, it was where I would go to visit family and, um, you know, maybe go to Disney where, you know, it was just, it was just this kind of idyllic place and an escape from um, the cultural incongruence that I felt in Brazil. And yet when I step off the plane and we're met by this customs agent, he says, welcome home. And that's when I realized, oh shit, I don't feel at home here. This is not my home. This mm -hmm. is my little escape from my home, but my home is in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And, and so it was this very strange reverse culture shock. And I felt very out of place. And yet it was worse than being in Brazil in some ways because there was no reason for me to be out of place. I didn't have an accent. I, I, you know, nobody really knew or cared so much that I had lived in Brazil. And so it was like, look, you're, you're a white kid in, in the suburb of Dallas, like, you know, this, like you're middle-class, like you've got nothing to bitch about, um, going to a, a good public school. So what's, what's the big deal? And it, it was, it was difficult for me. So, you know, at that point though, as far as dating is concerned, that was at the forefront of my mind. It was taking, don't get me wrong. It was, it was taking up a lot of real estate in the background of my mind, but in the forefront of my mind, I was kind of in survival mode. I've always had a blessing and curse of being an overachiever. I, I think it's more of a curse because it really stems from this, this need for approval and this feeling of mm. uh, lack and of not measuring up. And so I, I, I derive great satisfaction from getting people's attention by doing something that I feel like I have earned um, or, you know, accomplishing something that I feel like I've earned. And anyways, also some, some middle child syndrome there, but um, all that to say, I, I kind of just like found myself in school and then athletics. I, you know, start, I joined the cross country of the track team. I uh, wanted to join the football team. The coach was like, yeah, this is a five day school in Texas. You've never played football. So you can join, but you're going to be a punching <laughs> <Good luck>. bag. <laughs> right. You're going to get flattened. Yeah. Right, right, right. You weren't part, you weren't raised in the uh, Friday night lights uh, zone. Yeah. Yeah. A million dollar football stadium at my school. That was good enough for the Dallas Cowboys to train on when their training facility was under construction. So no, uh, no I did not. I did not pursue that. My dad was like, how about cross country? I was like, that sounds great. So I was just, I just kind of buried myself in that and did not, you know, aside from interacting with my peers in cross country and, and track, which, you know, was a, a, a motley crew. I, um, I, I didn't, I did not put myself out there very much. And that kind of continued into my college days. And so I would, 
I kind of just stuck with my my MO, which was to have, you know, these intense crushes and infatuations for women, but I would keep them at a distance um, out of insecurity, out of this feeling that I, this sense of inadequacy, and then also this sense of obligation because at the time I was- To your religion. To, well, yes. Because I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, like, weren't there, weren't you proscribed at all, or or were you? Let me ask, mm -hmm. not say it in the negative, but were you proscribed? Like, was there a what? What was the rule for your evangelical parents? What was the rule as far as sex, dating? You you gave me a note earlier about when you were when you were thirteen. Um, you told your parents you were ready to date and. Uh, they express some some hesitance and then you know what so back up to 13 in this book and everything they 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 handle yeah. you so and, and, and then come back up to 16 because so because i mean because we are talking about dating and you know uh uh religious convictions and you know is that oil and water or can it just flow nicely mm -hmm. and so yeah. yeah so so go to the 13 one and then and then catch back catch us back up to being back in the states at 16. Yeah, 13 is definitely a good place to start because that's when, you know, so I'm, I'm still in Brazil at that time. And I, I, there was a girl that I was interested in. Um, honestly, she was a good person. She was attractive. I'm 13. I'm seeing lots of people dating around me. Brazil is much more liberal sexually than the U.S. And mm -hmm. so. I've, I've seen the photos, man. I'm like, Oof. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I, I, I thought, you know what? I. I would like to try my hand at this dating thing. And, and I told my parents that because I always, you know, kind of felt the need to keep them in the loop and I wanted their approval. And so I, I told them, I was like, you know what guys, I, no, I didn't, I didn't say guys, but I was like, you know what, I, I, <laughs> you know, homies. I, You've got a cup you of know. coffee with your mom and dad in the morning. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I said, you know what, I, I broached the topic and I was like, you know what, I, I like, I think I'd like, I think I'm ready to date. That's what I said. I think I'm ready to date. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were like, hmm, well, <laughs> and they, they felt like I was too young. And in, instead of encouraging me to date, they encouraged me to read two books. One was by Rebecca St. James called Wait For Me. Um, not date for me, but wait for me, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which which again became a part of my dating strategy, just waiting. Mm -hmm. And then another one, which was even more impacting was I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. Mm -hmm. And I uh, just want to put out there that the author, to his credit, um, although although in his book, which he wrote when he was 22, yikes, uh, wow. in, in his book, he, wow. he his position is basically like, hey, I dated around so much and it doesn't lead anywhere. And so instead of essentially like preemptively cheating on my spouse through all of these frivolous relationships, just, um, you know, don't date to get to know somebody, get to know somebody through friendships and group setting. And then when you find the right person, get married. Um, but he, he has, yeah, he has since, um, I, he, he talks about it on his website. I think it's called Joshua Harris something. Um, he, he regrets, he regrets writing that book. And he actually even, uh, to his credit, came out with a documentary where he interviews all the people that felt like they were kind of damaged by the message in that book. Um, that's that's a big mea culpa. Like he he really that's that's in recovery circles we call that a, a monster. That's a monster amends, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big amends. Absolutely. Amen. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What's interesting to me is is that is the first part that you said he was twenty two. Twenty two. Like, I wrote something when I was twenty two. I mean, come on. Exactly. The way you are from it, <laughs> the more you realize 
that's kind of absurd. Like you can be a poet or an artist. Or, mm-hmm. Well, okay. Let me not, again, people, oh God, I'm going to sound like ageist. Like every time, like I'm this grumpy old man, like, like wagging my finger, like you, you kids. But yeah, I, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about something as instrumental, exactly. most of us in our earliest twenties are, I mean, that's when you can, you know, if you played it cool until then in America, uh, I don't know what it is in, in Brazil, but it, you know, you finally you can go out. You're driving. You're you're about to get out of college. If you go to college, or you've been working a couple of years. If, if you haven't, and you're now drink if you can. So those are your exploding years socially, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just like coming off you in waves, right? I mean, and 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 you're not in school anymore, or you're just getting out. So there's this sense of freedom. This is like when you start. And so this guy is saying, no, no, no. Let's 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 draw that back in. Let's not sort of, you know, Al, you know, Alan, Alan's a friend, a mutual friend of ours. He and I did a podcast on um, uh, uh, dating, dating, you know, dating, like single on purpose. We're doing this, this dating on purpose or dating as practice. And so it's the exact mm. opposite of, of this guy Harris's um, uh, uh, philosophy, which is like, no, go out and be you, learn to be you, learn about yourself in a social and a potentially romantic situation across from someone right? Where you're, you're building something potentially. And then if not, okay, it's practice. You just go and do that again whenever you want to, right? Yeah. I'm or just like a podcast, you stay single or whatever, but go ahead. I'm shaking my head because I'm just, I was like, ah, oh, why, why did, why, why did you and Alan not descend from the heavens and tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> 15, 15, 17 years ago or whatever. Yeah. yeah, why, yeah. Why, why, why? yeah. Why? Um, do you so, like a, so your parents? Yeah, go ahead. It'll be like an intervention. Yeah, like, exactly. We're gonna, like you're going to help your future self. I, you know, I, it's like a force ghost. We would have been exactly. Ghosts. But no. Uh, 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 so your parents put these books in front of you. And and mm. how do you remember your reaction to them? You're 13. But again, you're very astute. You guys are this like really academically minded and education minded family. Plus, evangelical mm-hmm. i'm sure you read them right did you read them front to back oh yeah no? i i read them and i accepted them hook line and sinker i was very conscientious and also very compliant i wanted the approval of the adults in my life and they were all christian and they all had similar ideas i mean one of our family friends uh incidentally the the mother of the girl that i was interested in she was she told my mom one time after meeting our teacher one of our our portuguese teachers um as in like an english teacher in the us but in brazil who who was a young woman in her 30s attractive uh, wore flattering clothes not inappropriate at all maybe there's like a little bit of cleavage which was absolutely acceptable culturally and yet and yet this uh, the mother of of my crush told my mom, you know, I'm kind of, con- I-, I would be concerned for my son's thought life. Mm. But the teacher, you know, thought I was life? like, exactly. Thought Whoa, life. Oh, that is thought so life. telling right mm-hmm. there. Dude, I've never heard those two words yeah. come together like that. Yeah. That is fucking amazing. So I, those were the people that I was looking up to that I wanted to, that I wanted to please. And, and the books told me how to. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. and for somebody that was very prone and is still recovering from black and white thinking, it made total sense. You know, why dabble in the gray, in the messy, icky gray of dating when you can just go from being friends with really very little on the line, very little risk of rejection without having to put yourself out there and then just fast forward to marriage. You know, it. I think at a subconscious level, it kind of seemed like a really good deal because mm-hmm. it allowed me to just forego, you know, the vulnerability of of really trying out dating, which is a, a challenging journey. But I really wish I had had somebody in my corner that encouraged me to do that because I just kind of hunkered down and, and I, I wasn't. I know I was a little antisocial. I, I not I wasn't a, a complete. You know, I wasn't I wasn't a complete loner, but um, I just did not put myself out there enough. And then, you know, paralleling this was also my struggle with pornography. 
And so I was mm. introduced to pornography when I was 10, to internet pornography. A friend of mine was, well, not really a friend, but a classmate was over to do a group project. And I, I knew nothing about the internet. I Even though the internet was, was um, you know, really scaling up and something that, you know, we had Google and whatnot at the time. This was 2000 and um, I want to say 2002. I didn't know how to use it. And so instead of Googling songs, that I liked, you know, my favorite Eminem songs or whatever, or Red Hot Chili Peppers, I would wait every week for Friday night when it would be on the top 10 countdown of Brazil's MTV. But this this nice. kid, he kind of changed everything You're for me. School. And it was like, you know, show me this music website, which on the side had ads for, um, you know, kind of softcore porn. And of course, I took a mental note, came back to it and kept coming back to it. And this this really just wrecked me because I felt this total dissonance. I, I felt like a complete fraud whenever, I, whenever I'd look at porn because I'm trying to be this goody two-shoes, this Christian boy, this, this saint. And, um, and then I felt like I was doing this abominable thing. And so really just kind of, you know, taking both, both sides of my quote-unquote double life to the extreme in my mind, um, when in reality they were a lot closer than I thought to each other. And what I was doing was not healthy, but it also wasn't mm -hmm. as bad as I thought. And, um, and you know, who I was as, as a Christian was also not healthy um, and was not as good as I thought. But all that's- So you've got, the, you've got the typical guilt and shame oh, yeah. and all that oh, brewing. Yeah. You can't, you don't have an outlet because of these you've essentially been restricted i mean self-restricting but also your parents mm -hmm. you know kind of literally put in front of you mm -hmm. like these this is this is how we shepherding you but not toward it but really away exactly. from dating and that those crucial sort of developmental steps uh i remember when um my son he's gonna kill me if, if he ever plays this back <laughs> he's he's uh he's 16 now and he's like six two he's just he's just grown like a weed but i remember when he was 12 or 13 shorter than me i'm only five eight he was he was little and um god he might have even been 12 because i think it it was right at the cusp of junior high or 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 just before and we all went to so he has right me and his mom and stepdad right my ex-wife and the stepdad and and everyone was at a table at one end of olive garden and then my son and his little girlfriend who he wanted to take out on a dinner date were at the other end yeah. themselves and, <laughs> and ordering and everything and how different how contrasting uh, a scenario is that from from what you experienced and, and look maybe even that isn't for everybody but there was nothing zero percent negatives you know something percent uh salaciousness or anything it was a boy who wanted to do something on his own socially with a girl and we encouraged that and we're like, you guys are young. You're not going to go like just be somewhere around adults by yourselves. And of course, you know, of course, we'll pay the bill and blah, 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 blah. But still, it was just really cute and sort of fostered that, you know, uh, you know, if you want to do this, just, you know, ask and we'll drive you or do that and everything. And, you know, again, now he can drive himself wherever and go and he goes and meets his friends wherever he does. But I just thought of that contrast, you know, compared to here are two books that you know, the word that kept popping up when you were talking, Seth, was was repress. And I don't mean that to shit on your parents. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, we can talk about at one point you had mentioned like, you know, we were going to get we probably won't have time now. We'll just do a part two on this or just have another interview with you. But uh, another session. But, you know, you were mentioning dating practices and other cultures and religion and all this. And we know that in some countries and some places, you know, there's, or still even here, probably for evangelical families, there's arranged marriages, or it's all very sort of circumscribed. And you have the pros and the cons from the folks themselves, like, especially I'm no expert. So I want to make that clear, but especially if we're talking outside of the United States, you will hear like, well, you know, I mean, it wasn't like love or whatever, but we, they put us together and we made a go of it. And then you also hear like, oh my God, I want my own, you know, sense of um, plotting the course of my own life not just educationally, not just socially, but sexually and intimately. And so um, this, these books sort of like put a, put a break on that potential for that growing process. And then unfortunately, like you're saying, you, you 
bump right into just like me and so many others did bump right into and we're like almost 20 years difference in age but the power of porn especially internet um is i mean it's just the access is just you know so you have these two contrasting but mm -hmm. concurrent situations i mean go back up to 16 then or even i think you're even going up to college and didn't you at one point have a dating scenario or two and a sexual scenario one or two or whatever and and again what's going on in your mind in those scenarios vis-a-vis this religious upbringing, right? Religious convictions, sort of hardcore, you know, convictions. Yeah, you know, I I really did not give myself permission to dabble in the dating world until I had cut ties with the religion that I was brought up in. And I, by the way, I just want to say I I love what you know the story you told of your son having a date at the other end of the table and I, I love that that is beautiful and that's that's the way it should be that is so healthy and it's such a fantastic way of encouraging your kids to a be transparent about their dating life with you to seek your counsel and then also to encourage it as something familial as you know and and to just kind of raise your kids through that i feel like my growth in dating was absolutely stunted um, it was, you know, kind of uprooted as a, as a small little plant in some ways, not, not to sound too dramatic, but honestly, in hindsight, I, you know, it's, it's hugely impactful, very, hugely yeah, impactful. very much so. And so porn was like this, I think kind of relief valve, not a good one, mind you, but that's what was going on. It, it was, it, you know, the only way for me to override those very black and white convictions that were hampering me was was to just you know pull the breaker and just shut it off completely and throw mm -hmm. caution out the window and that's how my my first sexual encounter went and so in college before you go there yeah i'm sorry hang on before you go there i want to, in case no one has ever heard either of us um speak uh uh, uh the, I called Seth my recovery brother when we first started this this podcast, and that is in and around sex and love addiction. And I want to make it clear that I, I will not speak for you, Seth, but I am not. I always put this out here so people know where I'm coming from. I am not just anti-porn, like a like fundamentalist style. I can't do it because it's unhealthy for me. It's destroyed my relationships, my job opportunities, my career, and even parenting trajectory. And so I had to surrender that, get the therapy, get the 12-step. That's how I met you. And then and then proceed, right, to do intimacy and sexuality healthily. And for me, that doesn't include porn. So when we're talking about when folks listening are hearing like Seth's experience with porn or mine or these early sexual experiences, not only is it is it the religious and and those factors in your life um but it's also that the porn became more than you know it, it became more than just an experience as youth it became overwhelming and you know like we call it cunning baffling and powerful where it's affecting the day-to-day -day management and uh healthfulness of your life is that fair yeah and, and in my case it wasn't i think my it wasn't so much because of the the volume of porn that I was consuming, because it was probably pretty moderate compared to my peers, and yet it, the effect was just so palpable. the The degree of the experience was so extreme for me; it was like going from zero to sixty. I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even kiss a girl until I was twenty one. Wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, because so in, in college, just kind of staying on the same trajectory as, as high school, I am going to a military academy. So it's even more stifling, even more demanding. And I just kind of buried myself in that grind. And, mm -hmm. and now if, if I thought that being an overachiever was encouraged in high school, it was super encouraged because even my social performance to a degree had a had a number attached to it had a gpa attached to it 
it, my mm. physical performance had a GPA attached to it. And then of course my academic performance. And so I had every excuse in the world to just insulate myself in this little bubble of performance and to not really take any chance, chance, chances socially out in the dating world. And, um, but then my saving grace came kind of in two parts. The first was I, um, my best friend, who's still my best friend, became, we, we met in a Bible study. And then he being um, less risk averse than me, and kind of chase, chases that's after risk. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, way. You know, is this an American friend or 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 a Brazilian friend? American friend. He was also going to the same college as me. Uh, you know, college entre comillas because of you know military military academy. So it wasn't really the college life, but he became long story short an atheist. And so then, and that, and and and, I, and through the process of me trying to convince him that he was wrong. I convinced mm. myself that I had a lot of borrowed convictions. And so I was like, shoot, maybe. You say barbed? Borrowed. Borrowed. Yeah, borrowed convictions, uh, things that I had kind of just accepted because of external motivators as opposed to really um, internal realizations. And so, so that kind of freed me up to question what I was believing. And then before I knew it, I was like, you know what? I, I don't associate with Christianity. Um, and a lot of it has never really made sense to me. And so I'm not like anti-Christianity, but I am agnostic. And at this point in my life, I would say I'm not agnostic because I, I do have a more, a deeper sense of, of faith than I did at the mm -hmm. time. Um, but I, right now you're talking. Yeah, about right now. But I, I do not um, consider myself uh, a Christian. Um, although I, I, I still hold many Christian, and let me, let me rephrase that. I hold many of Jesus's teachings near and dear in my heart. Um, mm. So little, little side note there, but I, I'd become an agnostic in college. And then, so that was part one of my kind of transformation. Part two was I, I signed up for a study abroad semester back to Brazil. So it was kind of like okay. study home not abroad, right, but I, right. I, I tricked the, <laughs> I tricked my school into sending me there. You know, didn't trick them. I mean, they knew that I spoke Portuguese, <laughs> but I did a really good job of marketing myself. I said, oh, you know, I hope right, the other right. guys that go. I will go, be a fantastic exactly, representative. Exactly. I'm going to be an ambassador. I'm going to be, you know, anyway. So, and, and they loved it. And so they sent me and it was just like mind blown because so many things happened at once. You know, I am. I, I'm for all intents and, and purposes, a civilian in this big city with, you know, a good amount of disposable income. I say a good amount. It wasn't that much, but to me, it seemed like a ton. Um, just my per diem that my allowance that I was given by the military and I have free reign on this city. My, my, my classes, my schedule was easy in comparison because I didn't have all this military bullshit to contend with and juggle. And, and there's all these you know, beautiful women. I mean, at, at, at this military academy, is only 20% girls and most of them are already called for. And so, um, or sorry, not, I don't want to say called for, that makes it sound like people are calling dibs on them. They, they were already in, in relationships for the most part. And so, um, so it was just like total contrast, total contrast and so many opportunities for me to kind of put myself out there and meet interesting women from all sorts of countries because there were tons of other exchange students hailing from all around the world. And, and so my, you know, but again, kind of going back to the escape valve approach to this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde approach to sexuality, I still hadn't really turned the corner on that and found a healthy balance. And so in, instead of just starting off in a relationship, my first kiss was going to a club in Brazil and then making out with a stranger who I never saw again. That was, mm -hmm. that was the only way that I could again, bypass my very rigid ideologies that I was still, that I was still trying to shake, that I still had this firm allegiance to at a very subconscious level, even though I didn't consciously subscribe to the ideals anymore. And so I, did you need, did you need um, alcohol as a lubricant? Yes, night? absolutely. Absolutely. I think there was alcohol involved. And then uh, I wanted to impress the two guys that I was with. And so 
uh, and yet I'm there. I am like shaking <laughs> because right, I'm so right. nervous because I've never, never even kissed a girl. You're again, like we talked about the trajectory you're doing at like what 21, 22, mm -hmm. 21, yeah, or yeah, uh, uh, what what we usually tend to get a head start at like. 13, 14, yep. 15, even if it's 16, that's fine. Like that may be quote unquote later, especially for Gen Z, like my kids, my teens age, but still that's like, all right. It's still part, it's in the soup mm -hmm. of, of what's going on right then. Right. And, and you didn't have any of that. Mm -hmm. You, yours was repressed. And then like you're saying, you have this I was gonna call porn your cock blocker. It's like it's like because it it wasn't good, and that's that that that's crude. It also misses the point that that we're talking about healthy sexual growth, and that was impeding you as well as the religious convictions, right? So you have this one little you have your stash, like we call it, you have your secret little thing over here with the porn that's that's saying come to me instead, and then you have these religious convictions, and so you kiss the girl in the club, and and and. and that happens and when is your next or first or whatever dating or sexual experience you know from then yes yeah, so i, I kind of want to go back to what you said about porn as being a cock blocker i think that's a great way to put it and i think that's why you and i um abstain from from porn not because we're saying that it is unequivocally categorically inherently bad but but because you know for people like you and me it was allowing us to live in our minds instead of living in our lives, um, mm. you know, and so it was cock blocking us, not just romantically, but just from the, the beauty of life. And so, yeah, so that I, I, I just wanted to echo that. Um, but, you know, after after I lost lost my kissing virginity in that <laughs> dingy little club in Rio, I um, I was like, oh, shit, like. I, something it just gave me this confidence it kind of it it started to nurture some confidence that you know what a wow girls i can approach a girl cold turkey you know yeah i was a little awkward but it was still a good experience i still enjoyed it i think she enjoyed it and i'm okay i'm not on fire yet i haven't burned up you, you know i've been struck by lightning right, <laughs> um, right 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 you know like <laughs> I can do this. I I can fucking do this. And so there was this girl that, that caught my attention and she was just a really free spirited exchange student from Mexico. And I befriended her and then, you know, in, in my own kind of bumpy way, um, started dating her. And then, you know, we had our first kiss. It was much more romantic. It was on the beach. Um, I was still nervous, but it was good and that was kind of my first that was that was the relationship i wish i had had when i was 13 mm -hmm. um but i'm you know something that we that you and i talk about in recovery is to not regret the past or shut the door on it and so mm -hmm. it's okay that i didn't have it when i when i was 13 because i did have it eventually and i i, I started in a sense kind of making up for lost time if you will and so we had that it, you know, I call it a relationship. It was never official and it was only a few months, only while the semester lasted. And then it, uh, we parted ways and went to our respective countries, but I stayed in touch with her and she remained a friend. And it was a really beautiful connection that we had and a very, a very genuine one. And, and so that was kind of what launched me into the dating world, but we were not sexually active. Um, and she was not religious, but she was more conservative. And as any listeners that are familiar with Mexican culture know it is much more conservative um, sexually and religiously than many other countries in Latin America, much more so than Brazil. Um, Super Catholic. Very Catholic. Yep. Very Catholic. And, and you can have, I mean, I imagine like Brazil and I won't, I, mm -hmm. I won't misspeak. I've been to Mexico a couple of times to have family down there. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, socially will be different and in some ways a little more loose than America, but then in mm -hmm. other ways, like you better get your ass, you can go party on Friday, but you can get your ass into church on, on Sunday. Yes. Right. And yes. And, and like very steeped in that. Um, so yeah. So, so go ahead. So you have this, you have this 
relationship and mm-hmm. this experience with her that wasn't like sex per se, but sexual mm-hmm. and, and, and intimate yeah. and you stayed in touch. And then what happens next? Cause what I want to do is of course, because you and I, again, this is what we do in just in our lives, sit and talk and listen and share with each other. I want to end if you're all right with it. I want to end in the next few minutes with, if you're comfortable with it, that, that, that first sexual experience. And then we'll just do a part two because brother, I have like a page of notes, these amazing notes that you gave that I think would help, um, impart, you know, some wisdom, some experience, some strength, some hope to folks who again, have a similar sort of, uh, uh, you know, what came up in my head as you're sharing is the word retarded, not in the pejorative, but literally your growth was retarded Mm -hmm. as a result of this, you know, evangelical. And again, your folks don't sound, you know, socially a little more progressive, even religiously a little more progressive. It's not fire and brimstone, even though you just joked about like, I didn't catch on fire. I didn't like fall into a (laughs) vortex of hell, you know, because I kissed a girl and hung out with her for a summer or, or, or a season. And, and, and so I just think it's, I think it's healing to hear the kind of thing you're sharing because people who have been in a similar experience, you know, I have a friend who was raised in a fucking evangelical cult, for God's sakes. I mean, people who mm-hmm. hear these sort of repressive stories then can have some hope that they can be single on purpose, dating on purpose. They can have uh, a sexual, healthy, progressive lifestyle or livelihood on purpose and and not, you know, the, the, the keel can be evened, right? The ship can be righted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a condemnation just because the earliest part of the development was again, retarded was, was, was cut off from what yeah. it might have been. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also I think what made it difficult for me to unentangle myself from those more conservative ideals that, that weren't serving me later in life, maybe served me in some ways, but um, that I, that I didn't want to be encumbered by anymore. But what, what made it so difficult to unravel that was the fact that my parents were not overtly oppressive, at least not to me. My sister has a different perspective, but as the compliant middle child, people pleaser, um, I didn't realize that that was something that had been inculcated in me to the degree that it was because my parents, they, they were not by any means the fire and brimstone kind of people. And they, um, I mean, you know, they would have host parties at our house. And if they were making a little Brazilian cocktail, they'd give me one when I was a teenager, you know? And so, you know, seemingly very progressive in some ways, but not so much in the dating world. But then, you know, kind of fast forwarding back to college, I I come back from that semester abroad in Brazil. It was this amazing, amazing experience. And then also amazing for some spiritual reasons as well. And that's where I kind of um, started building up my, my own faith you know, from ground zero. Um, mm-hmm. It just, yeah, it, it just, and it you, was really beautiful. And you came back agnostic, like you were saying, you came back agnostic open to but, some skepticism. Some yeah, questioning. agnostic, but now I started the semester pretty, pretty agnostic, pretty like, hey, I don't know. And then I ended the semester, I guess you could say agnostic with a twinkle in my eye. <laughs> You know, <laughs> a hopeful agnostic. Yes, exactly. There's something there. I just, I'm going to keep, you know, reading up on it yep. and meditating on it. Yep, exactly. I felt this connection right. to, to life at large. And, sure. um, but then again, I, I still had some pretty deeply rooted reliefs about sex specifically. I still very much so did not want to have sex until I got married. That still made sense mm. to me. It made sense, right? That way I don't risk getting an STD. I don't risk getting a girl pregnant. And I don't, you just don't risk. I just don't even healthy risk. risk. Exactly. Like we, like we talk about even healthy risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't risk becoming too attached to, to somebody that I might not end up with in the long term. And it was a very, it was a very comfortable way of, of living and dating or not dating. And, and yet again, it's so funny. So I, I go on spring break again with my best friend, uh, the crazy redhead. And we go to Cancun. It was me, him, another friend, and then my best friend's girlfriend. And, you know, we're, we're at this, you know, one of those typical all-inclusive resorts that cater to spring breakers. We're right. sitting at sitting at, at, at the table having a cocktail from the open bar. And uh, 
my, my best friend, Joe, his girlfriend was, you know, asking me about what, what I thought about sex and whatnot at this point, since I was, you know, no longer Christian. And I told her, I was like, you know, I, I think I still want to wait until I get married to have sex. And then that night I get plastered, have, you know, a few tequila shots too many and end up in bed with a girl that I had just met mm. who was kind of a party animal herself. And, mm. um, and another, it, another American that another American. Yep. Mm. Yep. And so that it, it was, but it, you know, these, these kind of zero to 60 experiences, oh. they just, they, they weren't helping my cause because then it was, then in my mind, it was like, well, that's what, you know, having sex outside of marriage is. And I don't want that because I was just drunk out of my mind. You know, it, it, it felt like I was safe. I, I would, I no, 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 mm -hmm. no protection. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and she, and I knew that she had, and she even told me she had had sex with a different guy the night before and probably a different guy the night before that. And, um, you know, as far as the intercourse itself is concerned, it, it was felt like I was just masturbating with her body. There was, mm, there was no connection wow. and very, very little pleasure as well because of the numbing effects of alcohol. Um, and I was right. just like struggling to stay awake. So really, I was going to joke to stay up, but, but yeah, that no, too, I, you know, it was definitely you, you a one and done. <laughs> really, yeah. You've painted a really clear picture yeah, yeah of, of the experience go ahead just kind of re reinforced that false dichotomy of either you're waiting until you're getting married or you're just throwing caution to the wind and jumping into the to the hookup scene um right, which is right. the extreme that i kissed dating goodbye kind of painted as the alternative mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. to waiting until marriage there was no healthy middle ground and again um in recovery we talk all about living in the gray and the messiness of life. And that's kind of where the action happens. But so that, yeah. So again, that, that strange, um, fairly unhealthy experience, potentially risky. I mean, I, I come back from spring break and I'm getting an STD check and I'm just like, Oh my God, right. I, what if I got waiting for results? Yeah. Waiting for results. Right. You know, it, so yeah, not, not great, but, yeah. What would you, I, I think, I think, like I said, I think that's a great place to, to pause mm -hmm. here and come back because again, dude, you're so astute. Your turns of phrase, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer and I'm like writing down, I'm scribbling notes like, oh my God, use that in the, in the podcast description. And I also use that in like a book. So you're just, you're, dude, you're so uh, uh, um, eloquent and incisive. Um, I want to come back with you and, and we'll go through the additional bullets and every, you know, the broader topic and maybe even catch up today. So get permission from your current girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> and see how much, you know, let's, let's not, let's not offend or, or, or anything like that, but, but see if, 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 what, if anything you can speak on there, you know, anonymously, not saying any names, but, um, but I'd like to then connect from that experience to mm -hmm. your more present day, how you healed from this this uh, 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 religious conviction sort of firewall, you know, that you've now jumped over um, as far as your sensuality, sexuality, um, uh, both your religious convictions and your sexual convictions or, or aspirations change. And I want to, I sort of wanted to end with you with, you know, what do you think, especially now through recovery, which is an intimacy behavioral spiritual journey that you that 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 you've been on and that we've 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 shared and and uh you know uh, fostered and supported one another in this process um because i call it a way of life right i call it my like my livelihood not just like oh i do something i go to meetings i do i say this all the time right this has now become part and parcel of how i live my days right i mean like like a buddhist would say they do or like you know uh some other spiritualist would say you know or, or vegetarian right like they do that as a part of their life and i know that you have taken up these healthy convictions as well and so with that current outlook in mind as a 30 something year old man early fucking god you're so young i had no idea <laughs> see that's how fucking wise you are um what would you like to tell your 13 year old self 
how can you sort of hold that younger you and, and, you know, some kind of encouragement or what message would you like to, and we'll, and we'll end on this. What message would you like to share? Mm. Oh, I, I would tell 13 year old Seth, I would say, you know what, man, you have so much to offer. Get out there, get messy, make mistakes, just like Miss Frizzle taught you in Magic School Bus. The the world is big, and to quote um, a priest, Richard Rohr, you can't think your way to the right life. You have to live your way to more right thoughts. So have some fun. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, and no matter what, you are going to be okay because you are worthy of love. Mm. That's it. That's amazing. That's a way, and of course, I scribbled even more notes. You mentioned Richard Rohr. You're talking about you're going to be okay. Go ahead and make mistakes. Beautiful ending. We'll get back to even more of this next time we talk. And uh, Seth Rogers, a uh, good friend of mine. I love you, brother. And I really appreciate your time talking with us and sharing on dating and religious convictions, you know, and how uh, in your experience through that, all these dichotomies and all these, you know, hot and cold and black and white experiences. Um, and I'm just, I'm glad to know you and, and, and learn from your healthfulness now and your spirituality. So thanks. And let's do this again, brother. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Had a blast. And I just, I hope some people can, glean a thing or two from my experiences maybe help them unravel some of their own knots i think it will i think it will for sure uh so have a good day everybody and uh, we'll be back some other time soon take care i hope that episode was helpful Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey if you've gone somewhere come back if you have revelations and wisdom Please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, zoom links to private gathers so if you want to join our community go to singleonpurpose.life thank you for listening be well we hope you tell a friend hey before you go i want to invite you to the single on purpose private community online it's off of social media no ads no algorithms we got forums we got live groups we got webinars and we have social hangs we also have offline in-person hangs happening soon. So check us out. Go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. And I will see you inside.